0: In this series, we're learning how to pray from the Lord's Prayer. If you'd like to grow in your practice of prayer, you can find some basic resources on our website at citizenselmira.ca under the resources heading. This is our last uh, sermon in our series on the Lord's Prayer, and my desire for entering into this sermon series would be that all of us together, collectively those who call citizens home and those who are visiting would have a, an increased vision for the place of prayer and the power of prayer in our lives. And the scriptures are full of example after example after example of the power of prayer. And even within our congregation, there are story after story after story of the power of prayer. We talked about one here this morning. In 2 Chronicles, there's a story that, that maybe you're not familiar with. 2 Chronicles 33. I would encourage you this week to read that passage. It's the story of Manasseh, who became the king at the age of 12. Talk about a bad idea, right? Make a kid the king, okay? And he ended up leading the nation for decades. Downfall in chapter 33. It chronicles for us the downfall of this king. And how he led the nation to follow other gods. He led the nation to do all kinds of worship to different Baals and different high places. It, It says that he even set up idols in the temple courts. And then it says that he encouraged them to give sacrifices. And it says that he even sacrificed his own sons to the fire. He killed them for the gods. So it is a low point in the nation. And it's, it's something that you would look at it from the outside and you would think, God, how can you work in this situation? I don't know how you can make this good in any way. And here's maybe the bottom of it. In verse 10 it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Can you imagine? God is speaking to them, trying to communicate his message of love to them, Nobody is there to listen. And so God brings into Manasseh's life a testing in the form of suffering to get his attention, somehow to get into his mind, into his heart. And then it says this in verse 13, this is Manasseh, that he prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And a few verses down it says that all the details of Manasseh's life are recorded in the book of the Kings, and it says, "Along and all that was involved: prayer." So anybody who retells the story of Manasseh and all that was involved in his life the good, the bad, the ugly, everything, it says, "Here's what you need to include in his story, his prayer." this significant moment in his life where God got his attention and Manasseh turned his heart and prayed to God. And this is the hope for this series, that we would be awakened again, that our eyes would be open to the power of prayer and that this would really only be like, this isn't the end of something, although it's the end of a little series, that this would be the beginning of something for us as a church so that whenever we tell our story, you know, the five-year anniversary or the ten-year anniversary, we can't tell the story without mentioning prayer. That's the only way to tell the story of citizens. It's the only way to tell the stories of God's success and movement in our lives is the power of prayer. So we have looked at each verse, taken it step by step, kind of pulled it apart to kind of understand it, and now we come to verse 13. The last verse in the Lord's Prayer. And it kind of ends like on a downer a little bit. You know, we're going to talk about like temptation and evil. And it seems like this is almost like ending on a, on a low point. But it is actually a cry of victory for us. It's a prayer of God's place and his power to do some magnificent work. So the verse goes like this. And we just read it all together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let me just address the first two things that kind of are most clear here, but they are limited things, okay? The first is this, that there is a limited power to temptation. The first thing that the prayer is getting us to think about is temptation, a reality that is present in all of our lives. 100% we are all tempted in various ways and we will be tempted in various ways today and if I took a vote it didn't wouldn't even have to be anonymous all of us have given into temptation and maybe we've given into temptation more than we wished we have ever ever had or maybe more than we thought we ever should but we have given into temptation and the world that we live in, the, the secular world that we live in, just kind of puts gas on the flame of temptation. It just tells us, like, just give into it, just enjoy it. There's a uh, indie rock group that I used to listen to. They're from England, and they have a song called "Jump in the Fog." And this is how part of the song goes: Okay, we feel nothing, so jump into the fog. I've made some bad decisions. I'll admit that freely. It's just that life tastes sweeter when it's wrapped in debauchery. So, drones of faith, drop your plans, drop that five step program because there's not an ounce of faith in this leap. It's clear you feel nothing, so jump into the fog with me. That's maybe like a British y kind of word, right? Life tastes sweeter when it's wrapped in debauchery. But that is the line that we are constantly fed. And it, if we're honest, it's the line that we believe over and over and over again. And it's a lie. And it's a lie that's really old. We go back all the way to the beginning. We go back to the first pages of the Bible. We see that exact lie being told to Adam and Eve. We're familiar with the story. Many of us are, even if you're not a Christian. You've probably heard of the story of Adam and Eve who are created by God in loving relationship with God, perfect communion. It says they're going on evening walks, that God has provided all the food that they need. They're in this beautiful place. And God says, I am putting you here to flourish and to increase, to multiply so that we can be in relationship together. But God says, There is one tree here that you may not eat from Adam, Eve, I'm testing you here. Do you trust me? This tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is not for you. So trust my word and don't eat from that tree. And if you know the story, you know that Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes to them, and what does he say? Did God really say that? Did God really say say that you can't eat from that tree. I mean, look, God has made everything. Why would he limit you to one thing that you should not eat? And so he puts into their mind this idea that God maybe is not actually giving me the full picture. That maybe God is keeping something from me that I really need or want. So he tempts them, which is different from God testing them. So listen to this. Let me read this so that it's clear. God was testing so that Adam and Eve would trust him. They would increase in their trust of God. It would actually strengthen their relationship. Satan was tempting so that Adam and Eve would doubt God. Would bring in brokenness of relationship. Distance. They would be further apart from each other. Two very different things. So, We are given regularly in our world temptations to go outside of what God has designed for us. It's just a regular part of our lives. So, if you think of like the big buckets of life, you think of things like the power that we want, the money that we want, and the sex that we want. These tend to be like three really big buckets that take up like the majority of our lives with all kinds of other little buckets. So, rather than like acknowledging that God is in control, that he is powerful, seek our own power. What he has established for your and my life is good. Man, we seek our own power. We try to control our own life as, like, terrible as a job as we do, and as out of control as life is for us, we try to control it. And then when it comes to money, we know that God has actually given us life, He's given us abilities to work and to do things. And so we can actually enjoy the the reaping of the harvesting and, and making money. And then God says, you can use that money to enjoy the life that you're living and to be giving and to care for others and experience this wonderful gift of giving and encouraging those around you. And yet we wrap our lives and our identity around the jobs that we have, our identity And accumulating as much as we can and as much wealth as we can is a constant, like, temptation for all of us just to kind of hoard those things, to, again, feel like we have something. And then sex is before us, this beautiful gift that God has given to us to enjoy in the context of marriage and in relationship over as many years as God gives us together in this marriage covenant. And the temptation for, like, quick and easy, pornography, or sex outside of marriage. It just seems too, it seems too appealing. It's easy. It's fast. But all of these things, we know, have a dark side to them. We pay for it. So, yeah, we jump into the fog, but we have experienced then the, the pain and the difficulty as a result of these very things, these temptations. Now, the interesting thing with this verse, again, you're looking at verse 13, is that it seems almost within the text that it's God who we're asking not to lead us towards sin. The prayer, you know, it says, and lead us not into temptation. So it's almost like God is going to, like, lead us along right to temptation and then just kind of, like, drop us and leave the situation. But there are... Three different ways that temptation is understood in the New Testament. And what's a little bit confusing for us is the word for temptation in the New Testament is also translated trial or testing. So it's three ways that it's translated. Trial, testing, or temptation. And they lead to different things. So the first one is this, that temptations are trials and testing from the Lord. And those, again like Adam's testing, are meant to strengthen our relationship. God is not putting these trials and this testing into our life to crush us, but he's doing it as a loving father so that we will actually prove to him that our love is genuine and that we trust in him. He's faithful, and he wants to see, are we really trusting in him or something else? Another version of temptation is that we are enticed to sin, And this is in the active work of Satan and demonic principalities in this world, where we are tempted from outside sources to do something which will bring our own destruction or will lead us down the road of sin. And then the third one is temptation that arises from within us. So we are born in sin. And even when we become Christians, sin is not eradicated. It does not disappear from us. We still face, on a a daily basis, this internal temptation towards sin. We are tempted to to leave the path that God has laid out for us and to go down our own path and to choose our own way. But here, listen to this. This is not meant to be like a, a message of no hope, okay? Listen to this. There is a promise that comes with this truth when it comes to temptation. And it's this, that God does not tempt us to sin. Sin, And we study to be crystal clear in our mind that God does not tempt us to sin. And we studied this in James uh, like a couple months ago. But let me repeat this again because James is the, the clearest with this. In James chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So that idea is fresh in James's mind. He knows that when something comes up in our lives, a temptation towards power, a temptation towards desiring some sort of idol, temptation towards something that's got us like a hundred times over again, a thought that comes up in our mind is, God, why are you doing this? James says that's the wrong thought because here's what's actually happening for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. So God is pure, holy. There's no evil in him at all. Not like a tenth of a percent, not a one millionth of a percent. There is no evil in him. So when he is testing us through trials of life, strengthen our bond with him. But when we are tempted to sin and we give in to sin, it's not God who's doing it. Man, that's a promise that we can take to the bank so that we understand the character of God in the trials of life as we're faced by temptations on a regular basis. So Kevin DeYoung says this, when it comes to verse 13 here in the Lord's Prayer, he says, it can essentially mean this, the prayer can mean, do not allow me to be near to the allurement of sin. Do not bring me near to the devil. Do not permit me to be in a situation where the enticement of sin will be greater than I can bear. So on the edge of trials and temptations is the evil and the temptations from within and from without. And so the prayer is, man, Lord, keep me that dark side. Save me from that, because it's always right there. Because the key here to verse 13 is the word, it's the conjunction, but. It says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as the trials come, as the difficulties come, Satan is right there waiting to bring this to temptation towards sin and distrust of God. So there's a limited power to temptation. We thank the Lord for that. But listen, there is also a limited power to the evil in this world, to the work of Satan, and to all the principalities that exist in the world around us. So Herman Witsius, I think that's how you say his name. He's a old Dutch theologian. He says this, whoever has God for a friend, will find Satan to be his enemy. We live in a world that is filled internationally. You'll know that most of the rest of the world is very aware of the spiritual forces that are at work around them. They are keenly aware of the good and the evil that is constantly at battle within them. In the West where we are, supposedly rationalistic, scientific, We've kind of thrown all these things out, you know, spiritual things. I, we can't weigh it, can't measure it. What is that? But The Word of God reminds us that there is a war going on around us, a war of evil that is trying to capture our hearts, usually with ideas and thoughts, trying to get us to be disconnected from the God who loves us, who, who has a design for our lives, and who has our best, actually, in mind. And within Scripture, there, are Adam and Eve. They are living now, are active and living. These are the, the kids of Adam and Eve. They are living now in a, in a world outside of the Garden of Eden. And God, again, has put before them a test of their trust of Him. And so He has communicated to them, here's what I want you to do. I want to be in relationship with you, but I'm asking you now to give of the, the best that you have and to sacrifice it to me. So they are to take their, their lamb and their strongest and the healthiest one and sacrifice it to God, essentially saying, like God doesn't need cooked meat, right? We're aware of that, okay? God doesn't need lamb pork chops, okay, or that doesn't make sense, lamb chops, okay? <laughs> God doesn't need lamb chops or lamb pork chops, okay? He doesn't need either of those things. God is seeing if they trust him. Is he number one in their lives? And then this is what it says as, the, as Cain is tempted to go his own way. It says this. God is speaking to him. He says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? Listen, Cain. This isn't, I'm not trying to make it tricky on you here, Cain. Do you trust me or not? Will you make this sacrifice? And it says, And if you do well, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God is giving Cain a warning because Cain has looked at this situation that God, what's up indicated what he wants. God wants to see if Cain is trusting him and Cain's like, "What's up with that? I got my own way of doing this. I'm not giving him my best lamb." I'm going to bring some fruit. I'm going to bring some grain. I'm more of a gardener anyways, so maybe this is more of a sacrifice for me, my best flowers, my best grains. I'm going to burn them to God. And, and God comes to him and says, listen, Cain, it's not complicated here. I've communicated truth to you. Now, will you trust me that what I have for you is the best? And Cain, in that moment, is wrestling then with sin, with evil, and God says to him, "It's like a, it's like an animal. It's like a, a a lion that is crouching, waiting to take you over. Now, it's not like, like we have a cat in our house, and you know we've kind of come around the corner, and the cat has jumped out and like kind of pounced on us. The cat's got no claws, okay? It's about yay big, it weighs like nothing, like air almost. So I'm not really too afraid of it. This is the imagery of a lion." This is the imagery of, you know, a 400 pound beast. God is trying to get this image into Cain's mind. Sin is waiting around the corner. It's waiting for you to make one little choice of doubt and it's going to take you down and crush you. But we're given a promise and it's, it's in here, it says it's Desires contrary to you, but you must rule over it. There's a word of hope there that evil does not have to have the victory of the day. Evil does not have to be the thing that dictates our lives and the choices that we make. The New Testament puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13: No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The promise here, the promise that we need to hang on to, is that God gives us what we need in the moment of temptation. We don't have to give in to it. Now, most of us have given in on a regular basis. And maybe we're even in the room here in a spirit of defeat. Like, there can be no victory in our lives. But this is the promise of the Word of God. Victory is possible. And what we're told here in the Lord's Prayer is the starting point for us is prayer. Man, there's many things that we could do. We're encouraged in Scripture to flee. We're encouraged in Scripture to confess our sins to each other. We're encouraged to do all kinds of good things. And we should do those things. But here in the Lord's Prayer... We are called to do something radical and that's that God these t- God God I need your help God these temptations they do feel like a, a crouching lion ready to just take me down my thoughts of distrusting you and your will for my life Lord I need your help one theologian puts it this way prayer is such a radical act because it requires us to criticize our whole way of being in the world. To lay down our old selves and accept our new self, which is Christ. Prayer, therefore, is the act of dying to all we would consider to be our own and of being born to a new existence, which is not of this world. He's saying we are, we are doers. We like to do things. We have a list of stuff that we want to do. And again, those things may all be good. But he says, the Lord's prayer here is a framework for our lives which is saying, let your starting point be prayer to God. Lord, in the area of temptation, would you go before me? Turn the road wherever it needs to be turned, Lord. Make prayer a first step in regards to temptation, and to the power of evil in our lives and in our hearts, because it's so powerful. So this is this whole series has been an invitation to prayer. God is inviting us in to a life and a, a relationship with Him, not so that He's more pleased with us, but that we can be in communion with our Father, and that He can be a help to us. So we are called to practice prayer. And make it a regular practice of our lives. And maybe even, you know, we've given a few practical ideas along the way. Maybe even uh, practicing silence in our lives. I don't know when the last time you've done that. And it's hard for many of us to practice silence before maybe you read scripture. Or maybe in the morning if you get up early enough with a cup of coffee. Practice silence before God. A minute. Five minutes. Five minutes. If you can muster it, 10 minutes. One time I tried to do that, 10 minutes, and I put my timer on, and I was like, okay, I'm sitting in silence. just want to hear from God. Must be time already. You know, I checked. It was like, it had only been like seven minutes or something. I just couldn't. I, it was an alarm. It was going to beep, right? And I was like, it, something must have happened. Silence can be really hard. But listen, silence actually it gives us a moment to acknowledge that God is God. In our silence, we we give God a moment to kind of rev down our brain a little bit and to acknowledge who he is and and what he brings to our lives and to our circumstances when it comes to our day-in and day-out life. So there is a limited power to temptation. There is a limited power of evil. But prayer. there is an unlimited power of victory through prayer. Many of you learned the Lord's Prayer. You memorized the Lord's Prayer and it came with the doxology at the end. And maybe it's been killing you every week that we haven't been doing the doxology. You're just like, "Mm, it's not done. You know, there's more to it. It goes like this, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That feels like resolution, right? That feels good. And many of the early church followers also didn't like that the original texts, so the oldest texts that we have of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel don't have this doxology. And so the early church was like, it just kind of ends with like evil and temptation. They're like, we need more. So this uh, doxology was added as kind of like a voice of encouragement. And it's pretty old, though, okay? It's, it's, it's recorded all the way back in the Didache, which is in the first, second century. It's a manual for new Christians. It's probably coming out of 1 Chronicles 29, which has a similar kind of wording. But it was a, a voice of kind of victory that the early church thought, we need to put this here to, to make... Explicit what is implicit in the text here. All it's doing for us is telling us the reality of this prayer and of who God is that He is the one who can do things, He is the one who is powerful. He spoke this universe and this world into existence. He keeps our hearts pumping all day when we're awake and all night when we're sleeping. God is powerful and mighty. So the the doxology reminds us of that, that we're not just in a world of temptation and evil where we give in way more than we should. But rather, we're in that world where God lets these things happen to us. He knows that we are going to leave church today and we will all be tempted in different ways. God allows that to happen, but he's bigger and stronger He's more able to work through our lives so that we can actually experience victory in our lives. It's possible. You may be sitting there thinking that's not possible. You don't know the things that have happened in my life. It is a promise to us on repeat that God can do more than we think he can do. So in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, Right after it, there's this long section, and I just want to read it to you, verses five through thirteen. It says this, and he said to them, Which one of you has a friend? Which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three lo- loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within: Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Maybe you would say the same. Get up from bed, leave me alone. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Will he not get up and give, because he's a friend? Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Verse 9 says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give, you, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke is saying, listen, the Lord's prayer is one of asking. And it, it should and rightly does put us in our place. But it is, it is a word of victory for us to be able to go and, and essentially bang on the door of God and ask him. Now, it doesn't mean that God is a, a genie and that we can ask him for whatever he wants. And we're just like, it's got to be there, you know. I'm evil, so I want this. Give it to me. No, it's actually powerful enough to convince our minds and our hearts when God gives to us the very thing that we maybe didn't want. But it is the very thing that is His will for our lives. So the the doxology is a word of victory and hope for all of us who live in a world filled with temptations and trials. The Lord's prayer is a framework for us to use. So, yes, it's great for the kids to memorize it, and I hope that many of you have memorized it as well. But it is, a, it is a framework prayer that should open for us lines of communication between God and us and give us the ability to ask him for great and mighty things, things that are beyond us. Let me just close with this we've our family has had the the privilege to be able to support a little boy in Haiti for many years through Compassion International. Um, He's been living there and and we are able to write letters back and forth and hear how how he's doing. Liz uh, got to go visit him one time for us and um He sends us letters on a regular basis. And so the other month, it was January, we got a letter from him and it was filled with all kinds of little things. You know, he's like, I love history. I'm learning about history. And this was kind of funny. He said, The weather's cold here. How's the weather where you are? I was like, Dude, if it's cold in Haiti for you, (laughs) I won't even try to describe what we experience. But he's living in Haiti. And I don't know if you've seen lately how the situation is like in Haiti. Haiti is like a, a country um, full into. They're not like on the brink of kind of falling apart. They're like full into it. Government falling apart, hardly able to establish themselves. Gangs running wild in cities. Mobs kind of ruling neighborhoods. The country is failing in so many ways. And here is this little boy that we're supporting Growing up, his future is there. And we, we pray, Man, Lord, would you make a way for him? Would you do something? But in his letter to us, and this just it just caught me when I was reading it over, he said, The verse that is most special to me is Exodus fourteen, fourteen. And I don't know if you know what that verse is. Exodus fourteen fourteen, where the people of Israel are coming out, it says this: the Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. And I, I was caught in that moment as I'm reading his future in the kitchen, knowing what situation he's in, knowing the challenge of his future. And this word of encouragement from this little boy, that the Lord will fight for you, reminded me that I can't pluck him out of Haiti, but we are committed to pray for this little boy. And I hope that in these five weeks, you have had an increased vision for prayer, to even just to step into it. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. So maybe this is the series that says, okay, I'm just going to say the Lord's Prayer, at least. I'm going to start with that once a day or maybe once a week. And may your vision increase, and if the, the series hasn't done it, I pray that the The word here from our little boy in Haiti would challenge you, would remind you that God is the one who is powerful to do things in your life that you or I could never do. So to close our sermon, to close the series off, would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer? And we're going to put it up here. And we're going to include the doxology so we can do it together, okay? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.